0: A reading from the book of Moses, Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev, and the plain and the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows where his burial place is to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses, Since that time, no prophet had risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land. And for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Oh, no. Chapter 2, verses 1 through (laughs) 8. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, As you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Who is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to Ask him another question. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh,
1: as usual, um, if you're following along and if you're like actively, mentally thinking about things, hopefully you ask the question like, okay, now we're in Deuteronomy 34. Where were we last week? Oh, you guys fail. No, <laughs> we were in Exodus 33. And so we skipped Leviticus numbers, and now we're in Deuteronomy. So uh, according to the Vanderbilt uh, lectionary, yes. <laughs> and so in this, in this cycle, I'd have to look in the other we're in year A, uh, so in this cycle, uh, so if you want to catch up and see what you missed, read Leviticus numbers and Deuter this is the last part of Deuteronomy and all of Deuteronomy to, to catch up. And you should have done that last week. So you're already behind. <laughs> so uh, those are important things. So I just want to help us to understand and in, in maybe hopefully you guys have thought about this. If you have, then I'm wasting your time. That's at least a good reminder. But um, just kind of thinking, I, I think I always have this problem. And so everyone else always has this problem uh, because it's a common problem and I'm a common man. And uh, like when I read, I'm just thinking, okay, what am I supposed to get out of this and how do I apply it to my life or something? Right. We kind of think and like, well, that's a weird story that like they put in there that they can't find Moses's body and they don't know where he's buried. And the only other thing we get in that in scripture is in James when it talks about Satan and the archangel Michael like arguing over Moses' body and you're like, what the heck is that all about? And then you get on to these weird tangents and then you never really think about like maybe the main points of the of scripture and you're just always wondering like and thinking that was weird. And so um, just by way of reminder, well, not a rem- well by asking, uh, who wrote Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Who wrote it? Moses wrote it. Okay, so this huge section of five books was written to Moses, and who did he write it for? The Israelites, Israelites, right? Okay, so you're tracking it with me, right? Okay, he didn't obviously write this part. This was put in by somebody else. You guys with me? He didn't write that he died and how he died, and that what happened after he died and then died, <laughs> that's not what happened. This is obviously written in and afterwards most likely Joshua or, uh, or someone in Joshua's contemporaries. So, but, so Moses wrote these five books. He gave them to Israel while in the desert. They're not in the promised land yet. And so they know these narratives, stories, and commands and everything uh, very, very well. They probably studied them all the time. Look at Deuteronomy 6 about like writing the things on the lamppost and or not on the lamppost, on the doorpost. And, you know, the phylacteries or however you pronounce it of writing the scriptures and the statutes like on the tassels and on your forehead and, and all these things. And so, and they really did gather um, during the, the holidays the, uh, that they celebrated and read the entire thing. That was a long meeting, (laughs) a little bit longer than our 30-minute meetings. Um, So one of the main themes that I think we miss out on is when Moses dies, one of the major themes of of the Pentateuch is what we find in Genesis 3.15, which everyone has heard if you've been to this church for uh, longer than a week, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is uh, God speaking to the serpent and giving his curses. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, the serpent's offspring, and her offspring, between Eve's offspring. He, being one, he singular, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." So there was and then you go in and you see that like beginning with their children, sin creeps into the world, and uh, pretty much all hell breaks loose. And um, they're looking for somebody. the whole point of the scriptures up to this point or a major theme, is you're looking for somebody that will bruise the head of this serpent, that will a head crusher who will come and defeat. The serpent, right? And you don't really get anything else, and you don't hear about the serpent in the Pentateuch except for in the Song of Moses. I think it talks about them sacrificing to demons. That might be later in one of the Psalms that Moses wrote. Um, I think it might be the Psalm of, or the Song of Moses. Um, and you get an image of a serpent, right? When there's serpents creeping in in the desert, and they're biting people and killing them, and uh. Moses's, is Moses or Aaron's staff? It's Moses's, right? You got to know the stories pretty well. <laughs> uh, that turns into a serpent, and they're supposed to look on this serpent and be healed uh, and delivered of the. They're supposed to look up to this one and be healed of these earthly serpents, and so we don't really hear anything else. There's no the serpent really doesn't come into play. Uh, those are images of serpents, and stuff, but we don't really hear anything about the serpent. (laughs) Like, it makes you kind of wonder, like, where'd where'd that character go and what happened? And, and, you know, but they're looking for one who uh, would be called the Messiah, the Christ, uh, the anointed one, uh, who is going to crush the head of the serpent. And they probably would have thought... Any time a figure arises, this is that guy he's going to deliver us. God is using Moses to take us to the promised land. This is the guy, and then he goes off and dies, and they 're not even in the promised land yet, and they're sitting on the border and so they weep about thirty days, and time uh, you see like David or solomon um, Samson, you know any of these figures that are starting to take lead of the society of the Israelites and lead them in righteousness and truth and wisdom and, and God's working through them. It says that like, you know, nobody up until that point, the Lord didn't work in those mighty signs and wonders through anybody else like that. And, and he's dead. (laughs) What the heck are we going to do? Well, we got Joshua. Hopefully he learned pretty well and the Lord moves through him and we'll see in our scripture readings. Um, but the uh, I was told not to say a certain thing from the pulpit, but I'll so I'll rephrase it. Um, even though I'm not at the pulpit, so that it might count. Uh, is that you know the whole one of the other themes in Scripture, you know, especially in the Pentateuch, uh, but you could say the whole Old Testament is that people stink. <laughs> There's they stink, not they smell bad, but they're bad people, beginning with adam and eve and to their descendants and people just like keep getting worse and worse and worse and the israelites uh don't do a too good of a job of being good people almost ever and so um one of the things just to look out for is because i want to bring this a little bit into the first thessalonians passage and Uh, we'll kind of go to the Matthew passage next and tie some things in is that what the Lord's intention is in his people. If you start with Cain and Abel and their descendants, like we're talking about a book of people who form societies and they have their laws and their customs and their way of life. And um, every way of thinking, everybody thinks this way in the entire world, to some degree, it's because everybody lives this way Is they're in a society. If you're we're born in America and we're raised in America, you think like an American. And you talk to Sindhu for 10 minutes and you realize that you we don't think the same on a lot of levels. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to get Golda to eat pork for like since she moved here, eat bacon. And you know what? She just doesn't think like an American. Bacon isn't awesome in her mind and her way of thinking. And maybe I'll get her one day but we'll see. Uh, So one of the Lord's like what the, and so this theme, these themes that come up, especially in the Pentateuch is that uh, of like a just society, God's laws are societal laws. Like even when you talk about the, I wish I had the whiteboard out here. I almost got it out, but I was too lazy to get it out. Uh, When you look at how, um, protestants look at what would call the ninth commandment although uh, which is thou shalt uh, not bear false witness that's those are courtroom terms like you're not supposed to sit before somebody in a legal proceeding and lie it doesn't mean don't lie like it doesn't it doesn't say you shouldn't lie to kyle or it doesn't it's not talking about like in an individual basis it's And that's in a, like a justice, like in a court proceeding type of language that that commandment uses, which you shouldn't lie, by the way, (laughs) you can stream down from that and say like, yeah, don't be a liar, Uh, (laughs) you know, for no reason or anything, but, you know, um, there's so much, but that's like, even those commandments are wrapped up in a society. So, what the Lord's trying to do is bring out a more perfect, just, righteous society, right? And so when we get to Matthew, we've all known um, that, uh, you know, the when he talks about the commandments, that, you know, the Pharisees are gathered to trick him. We've been looking at how Jesus has come into Jerusalem and, you know, what I like about the gospels is that when you look at the kind of storyline of it, there's like, when does he come in, in 19? Does he come into Jerusalem? Um, there's about like 19 or 20 chapters of his, uh, from the time he was born until he comes into Jerusalem. And then there's a heavy amount of scripture, a longer section in him in Jerusalem. He comes in 21. Um, and you know, and then for the, for that week, Uh, there's uh, seven chapters, right? Or eight chapters because there's uh, 28 chapters, right? And so all of this is gathered around the whole story and theme of Matthew is like, he did this ministry for three years and that's the biggest section of Matthew. And that covers three years. But then this next section is he's in Jerusalem. And so it's always looking at how the Pharisees and the rulers and those um, people who are in in charge of the temple are, they're trying to to trap the one guy that they've been looking for and their whole religion is based off of. That one guy that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And he's telling them like that it's him in these verses he has like you know when it says when Moses died and the spirit of wisdom was on him and the spirit of wisdom goes to Joshua, like um, uh, the we see these images of the the Christ or the Messiah in the Old Testament of like a foreshadowing, and so you look at Moses and the miracles and signs and judgments and wonders that come through him, you should expect the same thing through the Christ, and the Pharisees miss this, they're they're blind to it. And they're not only blind to it, they're vehemently against him. <laughs> and they're trying to show him. Um, I'm going to take a minute to, in a second to look at how we label the, the two tablets and love God and love your neighbor because there's debate about that. And I just want to give you my ideas um, and what the classical Protestant, probably most accurate way of thinking about it is. But uh, but the whole point is about, you know, after Jesus talks about and answers their questions, about like, this is the greatest commandment, they're like, oh yeah, he got that one. <laughs> Couldn't get him this time. And then he flips the tables and these are the people who are like working together night and day to trap this guy. And they've got a team of people, of lawyers who are like textual Uh, critic geniuses who know more about the Bible than, uh, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, than maybe we could ever, like, hope to understand, you know, in our own natural sense. Um, They would probably know, like, you know, in, is it First Chronicles, where there's, like, seven chapters of genealogy, I'd probably you'll point to one of the guys in there and tell you a little bit about them. And <laughs> like, they were just geniuses when it came, comes to knowing the scriptures. That's what a lawyer was. Or, you know, they knew so much about it. They had a lot of knowledge. And, and there's a whole team of them gathered together. And there's this one guy, Jesus, who doesn't have any formal training, who is like the carpenter's son from Nazareth. Uh, and he asked them a very simple question about what they believe, and they can't answer it. <laughs> and the whole team of them can't answer it. And they haven't even like, thought about, like, yeah, David calls the Christ his Lord, and how do we assert that the Christ is the son of David? They hadn't thought through that. They had no answer. Hopefully you guys have an answer. Uh, and and I mean, the simple aspect of it is, is that you call someone Lord who is greater than you. So someone greater than David is coming and that's who we should look for. Not uh, surely he will be a physical descendant of David just as Christ is. We see that in Matthew and the genealogy. Um, but he calls him Lord because even David in the spirit saying that knows that, he's greater. The the Christ is greater. And so um, uh, when Jesus flips on it kind of shows that like the Pharisees and he's like, he has the same spirit of wisdom that Joshua had that led the people into the promised land. And so, you know, the Lord uses very specific language throughout scripture. Uh, it doesn't, you know, and if you just kind of think in like big picture things, and I just like a lot of this 30 minutes that I try to do is just try to like open up bigger picture things and you guys go and figure them out or think about them more and maybe tell me what you think and it, and then I'll sound smarter when I say those things after you guys have thought about them for a while or, <laughs> or something. Uh, but like it doesn't say the spirit of power rested on Joshua. It doesn't say the spirit of truth rested on Joshua. It doesn't say anything except for the spirit of wisdom. And so the whole arch of the narrative here is that like they're on the cusp of the uh is it the jordan river is that they're on entering into the is that the jordan yeah i was looking to deanna for specifics like i know there's a bible story here and it says something and there's a place and that place is called something <laughs> what is that the jordan right uh right and you know those are reasons why john the Baptist was baptizing people there and because the whole theme that we've come out through from exodus exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy is we're getting to the promised land god's forming he had done this before through um bringing isaac you know through joseph to egypt to form this society and this people group with their laws and their justice and their way of life and everything that will then fill the entire earth because that's his mission and his plan is to fill, just like he says with Abraham, to fill uh, the earth. His descendants will be more numerous than than the sand on the seashore, the stars in the heavens, and stuff. And so, his God's goal is to fill the entire earth with his society, with his that are are, are based on his justice, his morals, his laws, his character, and everything. And so. In Deuteronomy, we're sitting on the Jordan River. Moses dies, the spirit of wisdom sits on Joshua. And then we'll read, I think in the next couple weeks about them passing through the waters and how they uh, start taking the cities and they get into the promised land. And so all that being said is that that's where the, the Christ is taking us to the promised land. That's where we are now. That's where we live. If we're in Christ, um, we're in the promised land and we're uh, meeting out justice, defeating enemies um, and so forth. And so when when Jesus is talking about, I just want to kind of outline this is because different people have different different schools of thought, have different ways of numbering. the Ten Commandments, and then when Jesus says the whole law and the prophet hang on these commandments, uh, think about like reading all of Leviticus and think about all those laws and parts of Exodus and Deuteronomy where there's mostly law. And think about how all of those sit on loving God and loving your neighbor. Um, we had an interesting, I won't, I'll do it when we're not recording and I'll tell you, I'll read you guys an interesting law that's found in the Bible. There's only, uh, I'll just give you a glimpse because the single brothers and I were talking about it. So it's single brother conversation. There's only one law that I know of in uh, scripture where someone's hand can get cut off as a forms of punishment. And uh, think about how this law <laughs> hangs there and figure that out. And we can discuss that around the campfire at some other time. <laughs> and, but it really does. That really is a law that uh, hangs between loving God and, and loving your neighbor. And so if you look at the Protestant way of thinking, um, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the greatest commandment. Uh, that's out of Mark, which adds strength. And uh, love your neighbor as yourself of we see that there's, throughout scripture says that there's two tablets and yes, it would be true to say that there were 10 commandments and there were divided those 10 onto two tablets. And it would also be true to say that those two tablets had another copy and one was kept in the ark and another copy was read to the people. Um, And so... But on those two tablets, you have some division of 10. And really the only uh, debate is is the first tablet that we would divide. And it doesn't say which numbers go where. There's no didactic teaching. And so you kind of think about how do these fall into loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And some schools of thoughts would say in the Protestant way of thinking, numbers 1 through 4 go on the first tablet, which would be you um, shall have no other gods before me as one, no idols as number two, uh, don't take the name of the Lord, your God in vain, number three, and number four, honor the Sabbath. Because those are all directed towards God. And then you start with number five on the second tablet of honor your father and mother. I don't think that's the case. That's how some, some schools have thought, number them. I don't think that's the case. I still think, just by the way they read is because once you get to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. These are all like boom, 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 boom. And so there's a clear cut in them of of commandments one through five have promises. They have um, reasons behind them, right? On the Sabbath day in uh, Exodus, And Deuteronomy, there's different reasons given Uh, in Exodus. It's because the Lord God made the earth in six days and rested on seven, and we're supposed to imitate him. In Deuteronomy, it's very different and says that uh, because we were slaves in the land of Egypt and we were put to harsh labor, he's bringing us out of that. And so we should rest on one day. And so six days you shall work, not the American way, not five days not four tens, <laughs> six days you shall work and one day you shall rest. Uh, and so that's just a, a point of of uh, some people might label if you put them into that kind of category of how to label them. And so what we get into in our modern evangelical culture is that we say, oh, praise God, I love God so much and I love his people. And, and then you get into community with them and you realize that, you really love God, but you don't love his people. Because <laughs> what, what did we read earlier? What do we find out that the whole Old Testament is about people stink? Uh, and so when you live in community, you find that out firsthand that other people stink. Uh, Kyle doesn't act and think exactly like me, which frustrates me, and I wish everybody was like me because then we'd have a more perfect society. <laughs> and no, that's not how it works. Uh, that's not what the scripture says. That's not, uh, we'd probably get a lot of work done, but we'd also probably be really annoying if we are all like me. But so these words need a definition. And so when we know the commandments, we know how God defines love. And so when you're reading through and just thinking what Jesus was saying, you have a real practical way to see if that you love the Lord uh, as much as you think you do. And I don't know anybody yet that I've talked to that examines the scriptures and finds out that they love the Lord more than they thought. (laughs) And so maybe, maybe there's people out there, but I haven't met them. And so... Uh, the, the commandments define how to love God, right? And so that's a, um, okay. Either way you number it, uh, uh, commandment number, I should stop saying, I said last week that we shouldn't call them commandments. So word number three of honor the Sabbath, you shall honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so that in the New Testament translates to the Lord's day. And so you could understand how much you love the Lord by how much you keep the Lord's day holy. Not as in like obeying, like I got to come here and I got to come to the prayer class or something or to the prayer room. And yeah, not like how many legalistic things can I fit into, but is this a day that we set apart as holy and different and very didactically in scripture, don't work from our, or don't, don't do our normal labors. Um, Obviously, I work for the church, so I, I count that as in, in my obligato- obligatory 40 hours, and that's how I can get away with working less, as if I count church Sunday service as work. Uh, but, you know, the priest profane the Sabbath on, uh, and, and, you know, we talked, Jesus talked about that in a couple other uh, verses that we went over last week. And so it's not we rest from our normal labors right uh greg rests from his normal labors he normally doesn't preach monday through saturday but he sure does work a lot on sunday and preach and do other things uh you know it's just we the this day is very different right the whole i love um for whatever reason just like meditating and thinking on these things recently especially through communion and Uh, just where our very comfortable American Christianity is and getting less comfortable here recently is uh, just thinking like we are on this day worldwide gathered, even though in different time zones and a few hours behind uh, or ahead of with millions and millions of Christians worldwide. Some of who are uh, in various countries who are it's life or death for them to gather. And if they if they get found and we're praising and worshipping the same God in a lot of the same ways with, you know, subtle differences, but we're all gathered worldwide to praise Christ, to praise the Father and the Spirit. And that has just like captivated me recently and uh like especially during the Sunday worship to just be able to like think about like wow, there's like, you know, I don't know how, I just think in my mind that we're ahead because I think America dictated these things. And I think time-wise, we're ahead. And uh, you know there will be Christians waking up like in the East, in the Middle East, who uh, might get shot or killed because they just want to praise Jesus. And was, why don't they just like <laughs> do what most American Christians do and not go to church? <laughs> it's because the Lord's day is holy. And so... When you, words need a definition and the scriptures tell us very clearly how to define love and that tells us very clearly not just how to define love towards God, but love towards other people, our neighbors. And and we can't go through every commandment or every word or statute or anything, but as you read, um, there's historic narratives that show how to love God, and how to love your neighbor. And then there's didactic teachings about it. Um, And I don't know if this is the right way of thinking. I'm just saying this is a way I think sometimes. And this isn't, I don't even know how true this is. So take it with a pound of salt. Is when we think of the three delivery systems of grace, the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the church, Sometimes I think if someone's rebuking me, that the Lord's already tried two methods. He's already tried to get me through the word. Uh, He's already tried to get me through the spirit. And the last line of defense, uh, lest I slip away, is for him to send me other people. And, uh, you know, would be that we would be so convicted by the word and the spirit that other people don't need to rebuke us and correct us and teach us and train us. But, People stink. We stink. And uh, it's a means of God's grace. And so uh, sometimes I think like, wow, uh, you know, this is like several days or weeks after I need correcting, which is every couple days. And so every couple days I have the thought of, man, like the Lord really like is trying to get me because he had to send somebody and it inconveniences them. And uh, I knew all the scriptures they were telling me. I just didn't want to do it. But and so you know um we just have to be very careful to war against the idea that like of just a nebulous emotional mental response and thinking about love like um not that it has anything to do with uh discipleship or anything but the the codependency book called love is a choice was very helpful to me just because i read the title And that it's no longer like when you look into the scriptures and if you use that as one of the definitions for love and get away from the whole emotional aspect, it starts to make it a lot more real because I love Kyle, but I have to choose to love Kyle when he doesn't meet my expectations, whether they're real or not, right? Or, or whatever, or, or you know, Kyle's just been so great and lovely lately, and now I have no reason to yell at anybody, <laughs> and so what do I do? Now I gotta love him because I can't yell at him, <laughs> and whatever. So, but I have to choose. It's a it's a choice. There's active ways to do it. It's not uh, and the same thing with love towards God and, and other people, and so if we go and end with that Thessalonians, uh, I'm hoping, because I haven't been reading any of these, that we just kind of remember what they say, but... I guess we'll actually turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just because I doubt anybody has it as fresh in their mind unless you studied and prepared and came here. And then if you did, you're more than welcome to do this next week. (laughs) Anybody can jump up here. Uh, I just want to kind of commend everybody in all of that, tying together in looking at verses 1 through 8, but more specifically... Uh, Starting at verse five, Uh, start at verse four, start at verse three. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And I just want to kind of end with... uh, I really wish we had I'm already 3 minutes over but uh I really wish we went back in some some weeks I don't think this is every week of uh, or all the time that if we had like more like 2 or 3 hours like we did at right state uh we can probably get a lot more accomplished here than in 30 minutes and part of that is because uh of storytelling and anybody who loves scripture loves to tell a good story and so um I kind of want to just say and and hit on um, that, not just sharing the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us, is uh, how all that ties in is, you know, the way we are seeking to do community and discipleship uh, is what we think or what we're trying to do, what everyone's in their mind is trying to do is something more biblical. Uh, and, but that's not as popular doing like one-on-one personal discipleship, helping every individual grow. Uh, it's not as popular in today's day and age. And I just want to kind of commend everybody that, you know, whether you're a discipler, like part of a discipleship group you know or or an attendee or whatever or a Lee is like when it says that uh in Luke and Mark, and I think also in Matthew, the very specific words that uh they were like he saw the crowds and they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. he didn't just like sit back and do things. He worked very personally with a lot of people, Uh, not just those he healed, but with the apostles and the disciples. And in some of the gospel accounts, it says he had compassion on them. And then he began to teach. So when he has compassion on people, it's not just he's, uh, you have to think, okay, how does that play out in reality? What did he do? Uh, Like, And if I got angry, uh, and then how do I? What do I do next? Do I punch a wall? Do I say some swear words? Or do I entrust myself to God and hold firm to His promises and try not to do something stupid? Um, And so, what does Jesus do next? In some of the gospel accounts, He starts teaching and training and healing and in is it Matthew? I think it's Matthew. I just looked at it last night with someone. It's that he began, you know, tells the disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest, harvest send out laborers into the harvest to gather. And then he sends out the the disciples or the 72 others, 70 others to go out and do the same things he was doing. Right? That's how Jesus has compassion on people. That's what he does. That's what you should be looking for. And so uh, that's what we seek to do when we have compassion on people is, you know, the same thing that Paul's talking about here with Sylvanius and and Timothy is that you can kind of get that sense of compassion and love for the people that he worked with, because they they weren't just there to preach a message and get them to do something, and to build a church. They were sharing their entire lives. They were laying down everything. They didn't have to do this. They felt compelled by God to go out, but part of that was laying down their life. So, when you know you meet with your discipleship group or whatever, and uh, you know we know these people like they are laying down their lives. They're laying down, it's because they have compassion on people. Um, It's because they love them. And so do their homework. If they give you homework, Uh, you know, be prepared, be ready, like, because that's who God's going to use to form people Um, or one of the ways God uses. And so uh, one of the ways you can uh, show them respect and love back and love the Lord, is by uh, listening to what they have to say, reading the books, questioning these things, thinking on these things. I don't know what people do in their discipleship group, so I don't really know. Uh, if I know it's always wrapped around books and stuff. And, um, you know, these, I, uh, you know, I sit in these leadership meetings where we just, like, like care for people and think about like what can we do to help people like how can we help them get it how can we help them love the lord more and uh there's times where you know these people who have worked with someone for uh months or years are just crying because they don't know how to help them and they don't know what to do and it's because they have They've shared their life. They've spent hours upon hours upon hours over a period of time. Uh, and it's just what I see here in scripture is they're not just trying to get them to do something. Like, I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm just like speaking to the two dudes here. Um, I don't know what it's like for women to disciple women. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you, maybe it's, it's probably different, but um like if you've ever like to sit down and try to help somebody come out of pornography addiction is a struggle. And and it's and and it's not just an A, you need to do this, 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 and this, and you'll be set free. Like every person's different and it's a common addiction. And uh and to help someone come out of that is like it would. It takes hours and sometimes years, and but you know, there's progress, and you're so happy at the end. You know, if they get set a little bit free, because you just you spend so much time, you know, discipling just to help people, that you're like half of your heart is wrapped up in them, and I think that's what the heart of most of or all of the uh, the people who lead discipleship groups. So I'm just commending uh, everybody or exhorting everybody to. Kind of just like really listen to them and think about like their heart behind things and why they're, whether they're getting you to read something or think about something or do something. It's because uh, they love you. They want to continue to share the gospel with you and they're sharing their life with you. Um, And so listen to them, do their homework or whatever, (laughs) or whatever. I don't know what they do. Uh, so let's wrap up 10 minutes late, uh, and let's pray and close and, and worship the Lord. Father, we thank you for, uh, coming and crushing the head of the serpent for being victorious, for leading us into the promised land. It's from the, the promised land, the land flowing with, with milk and honey, where you're sitting on your throne as conqueror that we go out and you empower us in a million ways, but through the spirit of wisdom that you pour out uh, to bring us victory. Thank you for those you've sent us to preach the, that have preached the gospel to us individually and corporately. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would bless and be on those in a special way who are laying down their lives uh, to share the gospel and, and themselves with others in our community and that you'd raise up others to do the same. Amen.